What's up, everyone? Shane Larson here, host of the Game Time Guru Podcast. Want to give a massive shout out to the official sponsor of the podcast. That's 208 Printing for making my shirts, my hats, my swag, everything. Now, if you guys are repping a team or you're repping a brand and you need some printing done for your shirts and all your merchandise, whatever it may be, go to madeby208.com and check out 208 Printing. They'll get you taken care of. Now, the thing I love about sports is you get to hear all these stories of these athletes and, and these former athletes um, and, the, and the journeys they went through. But one thing that always makes me sad is the whole what if story, right? But the guest I'm bringing on today, you might hear people say, well, what if he didn't get injured? What would he have, you know, what would he have been if he didn't get injured in college? And I don't think that it should be a what if story. In fact, I'm so inspired by my guest's story because what he did is he made the best of his opportunities that he had and still had himself quite the professional career playing in the NBA and, and, and being called up time and time again from the D-League, the CBA. Uh, and you guys are going to love this episode. It's, it's going to be one that's inspiring for all athletes. If you guys want to hear a, a story of determination, grit, determination, and taking advantage of opportunities when they present themselves, you're going to love this episode of The Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game time! If you're sick of the mainstream sports outlets, well, so was I. So I started my own show. I'm Shane Larson, and this is The Game Time Guru. It's different than other talk shows. I'm providing a panoramic view on sports so you can see them through a different lens. So buckle up, and let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome out to The Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. Once again, coming at you with another amazing interview as we're getting to know another individual in the sports world as we do our best to deliver a panoramic view on sports so you guys can see them through a different lens. We're three and a half years into this podcast, over 50,000 downloads in 79 different countries, and we're continuing to grow. So we're super excited to bring on our guest. He played professional basketball for over 11 seasons. Now he's in the coaching realm, and we're going to get to know him better, get to know his entire journey from even before the pro days. His name is Randy Livingston. Randy, thanks so much for joining the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Shane. Appreciate you um, having me on. It's my pleasure. Absolutely, man. So uh, a fun fact here, Randy, I mean, I actually remember you more so when you were with the Stampede, because I live in Boise, Idaho. I'm here in the Treasure Valley, so I remember the Stampede days, but your career goes way back, like way before that. Um, talk to us a little bit about your, your upbringing and, and, and the sports background that you had before you even got to high school, for that matter. How long did you, I mean, when did you get into sports and how long had you been playing for? Well, only the people that know me from New Orleans. I actually, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, and the housing project that I grew up was Master P. Then maybe a little food box down. It was the cash money guy. So, you know, there's all sorts of people that, you know, grow up in that community. And my first love was football, though. And, and the people that know me when I was younger and still to this day, you know, and people that I got to play with, football is like a passion for me. And I was really good at it. And some guys that have made it to the NBA, uh, NFL, that probably will be Hall of Famers soon, like Pat Sertan, who played for the Dolphins, they always tell me, man, if you had just kept playing football, you would have been, you know, in the NFL. And so, like, football was my passion. I, I loved it. And, you know, I just got better very quickly at basketball. I wasn't very good when I first started. Um, nine, ten-year-olds played bitty basketball. And really my only goal in basketball was to be better than my brother. He was a pretty good basketball player um, when we were younger. And so, like, that drove me. And once I knew I could conquer him with the good brotherly love that most bigger brothers put on you, you know, you feel like you can conquer the world. So, 
you know, that's how I got involved in basketball. And like I said, I, like for young kids out there listening, I wasn't very good when I started. Just trust me, believe me, I was just a guy who could barely dribble. And if I did dribble, it would bounce off my foot and go out of bounds. But at the end of the day, I worked hard at it. And like, I just continued to improve at a crazy rate to where it actually made me, you know, leave my love, which was, you know, football. But um, yeah, so I, I played bitty basketball. I remember I traveled to the Pacific Northwest when I was 11, I believe. We traveled by way of train, which took three days to get from New Orleans to Seattle. And we played in our first AAU national tournament, which was in Bellevue, Washington, which is right outside of Seattle. So, you know, I'm quite fond of the Northwest. And, you know, we came in seventh place. I like 140 teams, which was great for little kids that were from New Orleans. But after that, year from a, like an amateur standpoint and a grassroots young guy after that that was the last AU tournament we lost till we were 16 years old I think we only lost one other game after that so we went on a heck of a run and I was one of the catalysts of that team of that AU group so you know that's that's like kind of the shortened version of that story but like just I just kept getting better and kept working hard and I had great coaching and great teammates that's super cool to hear that. Um, and, and like you said, you know, for anybody who's listening who, you know, might be a little discouraged when, they're, when they pick up basketball or whatever sport they're playing for that matter, it, it can it just keep working. You got to keep working on anything to, to, to develop your, your skill set, uh, to work on your craft. And you never know what can happen. I mean, I have a question for you, though. Like, what, what age did you decide to kind of take that? There's a lot of people that, like, there'll be multiple sport athletes, right, a multi-sport athlete, but then they take – at some point, they take the focus towards one sport. When did you start, you know, making that shift to basketball from football? Well, um, I think when I – I went on seventh or eighth grade, I kind of – that was the end of football. I think eighth grade was my last year playing football. Um, but, I like, I still love basketball. I tried to play even after I was um, – parade co-player player of the year in the country with Jason Kidd and then my senior year with Rasheed Wallace, I tried to play my senior year led by, you know, one Peyton Manning trying to get me because my company in high school and my senior year, he actually, he knew I loved football and he tried to get me to come out again. So it was, a, um, I, I would say around seventh, eighth grade, I began to just get better and better at basketball just very quickly. And so, it made it an easy, you know, transition out of football, although I still love it. But that's when my decision was made to kind of just stick to basketball. Totally, totally. It's interesting you mentioned that, man. I, I had read up on that about you, that you went to school with Peyton Manning. And uh, you're, you're surrounded by a lot of, a lot of great uh, talent, but you yourself, you're a high school phenom. I mean, for, for those who are listening, I mean, like you just mentioned it right here, just we can't just, like, play that soft, man. Like, you, you know, national prep – player of the year 92 with Jason Kidd like the co-national player that have but you had Jason Kidd right next to your name and then the next year co-national prep player of the year Rasheed Wallace like these are big time names Randy Livingston was player of the year alongside those guys like two years in a row like and 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 it, what I read up on is you led your 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 team to three straight titles is that correct in high school for basketball yeah that's correct and um I, my high school I, I tell everybody all the time and I, yeah I don't want me to be modest and that, but I, I put my high school career up against anyone, and that's even LeBron, whoever. Um, I just had a, a run there that was, you know, unprecedented. My freshman year, I got to play high school, 
we had that probably was the best collection of talent in my high school um, career that we had. And unfortunately, we didn't win it all. But I averaged probably 19 points a game my freshman year. And then after that, the rest was history. Sophomore year, you know, I, I, I went to the Boston Shootout and played on the national scale and played very well with the likes against Juwan Howard and Michael Finley with a group of guys just from New Orleans. So that was well. And then that sophomore year, we weren't expected to do much for as my high school team because um, we had a whole new starting five of four besides myself. And so we just gelled at the right time. And then when I got to the playoffs, I mean, if I say the height of my career, making to the NBA is height, but like, from like a number standpoint, I went on a five game playoff stretch that was unmatched. I think I averaged like 41 points and like 15 rebounds and 11 assists and like six blocks and five straight games. And so like, it was like, it just all came together. Like everything that you worked on, everything that all the hard work you put in, it just, it just manifested itself during that period of time. And so that was probably for me, my greatest run in high school was my sophomore year. I and mean, we kept winning and I played well and made the McDonald's game and all that stuff. But like pure numbers wise, yeah, it wasn't a stretch of five games. Yeah, I like it, to be honest with you, because everything clicked. You know, it didn't matter. Three-point shooting, driving, left, right, post-up game, pick and roll game, passing, just everything. You know, I have a celebrated high school career. Um, and also from an AAU standpoint, not petitioning for it, but if there's an AAU Hall of Fame, I mean, we run five AAU national championships and I'm five times MVP in all of those events. So in over AAU span, I think we were like 130 and like three. And so like, you know, I, I, I put that against whoever wants to measure it against. It could be the measuring stick or if they want to say LeBron or they want to say, High school, I can put my numbers against anybody and, and feel comfortable doing that. So that's the next 30 for 30 documentary on ESPN. You guys heard it here first. So here's the deal. We, <laughs> we, we see that you were like this crazy, you know, crazy good athlete, just put in a ton of work. Obviously, those numbers, you guys can go check those numbers, by the way. He's not lying. Those numbers are out there. You can go see that, that stretch of games that he went on. It's just the information's out there. That's awesome to see that you were able to, to – to hit your stride, um, just crazy good athlete going through high school, especially. And then we go into the college days, Randy, and you're um, sorry, you go into the college days, and it sounds like you know you had some knee injuries, you were battling some injuries. Talk about the first time you had to really, you know, as you're going into college, you're staying in your your home state, right, at LSU, and yep. big name coming out of high school, but then you're dealing with injuries. Talk about how that, uh, how you got through those injuries, and what that did to you mentally as well as physically. Well, basically, after my freshman, I mean, my senior in high school, I got hurt July 4th, like I'll never forget it, in 1993 at ABCD camp. And the guys in the camp that I was a counselor for was Alan Iverson and Stephon Marbury. So go figure oh, wow. that. And so, yeah, we were playing in front of the scouts, and I tore my ACL. So before I even started my freshman year in college, I got hurt. And... You know, that was the first time, you know, like when you say utopia and magical runs, I had never had an ankle sprain or, you know, nothing in effect. And to, to then tear your ACL, I didn't know what an ACL was, to be honest with you, at that age. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was devastating because you didn't know. And, and obviously medicine and medical procedures were done differently. It isn't at the height that it is now. But, you know, it was a, 
it was a tough go because I went from playing from nine years old all the way to 17 and never been hurt in all those years. And now I'm sitting out and couldn't play. So mentally it was, it was devastating. I, I actually in four months was actually back playing with the team, but I thought it was a smart decision. Coach Brown and my family, we decided to redshirt my freshman year and let me get all the way back hill. And, um, it was a grueling process. Rehab is tough for anybody, any level athlete. It doesn't matter which stage you are. And um, I came back and I thought I was as close to about 100% as possible and was doing really well my freshman year at LSU. At one point, I was averaging like the first 10 games, like 16 points and 14 assists. And then that wound up going down to like 14 and 12. But, you know, it was it was going well after my red serve freshman year. We were 5-0 in the SEC conference. I was cleared a week, two weeks in a row. You know, so it was back to the old, you know, what they were used to seeing. And um, I'll never forget January 5th, 1995. So that's almost two years after surgery. First surgery, I tore my, um, I broke my patella in half. So I went from ACL and the same knee and the right knee to now a fractured patella. And the first knee injury I could deal with, the second one was very, very tough because you, you, you you don't question God and you don't question the world, but the doubt seeps in a little bit. Not so much whether I would be in the NBA or be able to play professional. It's just like, why is it happening? Like, you know, what, what, what's going on? And so that was a very devastating and, and really old school surgery again. I had to pretty much be mobilized in a leg brace for three or four months, had pins and wires in my knee. So that was a little bit more. That took a lot of, if the first one took a little bit of athleticism out and I was able to regain it a little bit, the second one took a lot of starch out of, you know, the athleticism. And that was more of a grind to rehab. And so college was tough for me to go from playing all those years. And then I think I played a total of 33, 34 games in three years. It was tough. Um, but I had a great mom. I had a great support system. Staying home really mattered. Close being maybe 45, 50 minutes from New Orleans. Being in Baton Rouge helped a lot. Then I had a guy, you might have heard of him, and the world might have heard of him, Sonny Vaccaro, who we were good friends. Um, then a 30-30 on him, so man. You know, he's a great uh, just mentor and friend. And he just basically, there was a new rule that came out. You can put your name in the NBA draft if you didn't get an agent and go back to school. And all the teams that I talked to basically said uh, that they would draft me if it was just a medical issue and I would heal. So that gave me a little bit more confidence, a little bit light at the end of the tunnel after a really dark time, three years. You go from utopia to dark times. So it's just weird. And then I, um, yeah, I, I, I put my name in the draft. I knew once I did, I wasn't coming back because I knew it was just a medical thing. And I got healthy and I was blessed by being drafted by the Rockets in the 1996 draft on the 42nd pick. So it seemed like all of that, there was some light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and sometimes you got to go through adversity. And sure enough, I went through it in college. It was some dark days, but I persevered and gave myself an opportunity. And a lot of it was on reputation, just all the stuff that I did previous and what I was doing in college before I got hurt. An NBA team took a chance. Like I said, the Rockets did, and my journeyman career started. But that first year was like a treat. So you go from utopia, dark times, and then like, an amazing journey. I got to play with three top 50 players of all time. 
and Charles Barkley, Akeem Olajuwon, and Clyde Drexler, and then got coached by a Hall of Fame coach and Rudy Tomjanovic. So it was a great experience to watch those guys work every night. I had great veterans like Mario Ellick, Kevin Willis, Eddie Johnson, Sadell Three. No, it was an incredible journey. I had all that stuff I had been through with the injuries to get rewarded. You know, it was it was great, and it was a good testament to just perseverance. So that's if you want to start from there and go to my journeyman career, we can go to that too. <laughs> Let's go. So here's the deal. Like I just, as you're saying that, it's just so crazy because, you know, if you're an athlete out there, especially at the collegiate level, even at the high school level, and you're you're excelling really well at what you, you know you're doing, super super good at what you're doing, you know, and and you have a, a bright future. Just know that, like, you know, Randy Livingston right here just talk talk to you guys about that. He went through an amazing career, and then all of a sudden has to battle through some devastating injuries and he still kept his ultimate goal in sight and that was to make it to the league and he did that um, I know sometimes like I, I've met people who have gone through those injuries and it's been like two or three straight seasons where they were kind of limited in what they could do because they're rehabbing and then their dreams are crushed because they decide ah well that's not it for me and you know sometimes that is the case but it, in, in reality if you if you want it bad enough you can figure out a way to get there you just got to put a lot of work in and have the right mindset because I think from what you're saying is like it's mentally tough and now you get drafted into the NBA, like you said, uh, the Rockets, man. You just mentioned off names. That's when I was a little kid, man. I, the, that 96 squad, I was, I was eight years old at the time. Uh, but I remember yeah. them well. I'm a Utah Jazz fan, so I just remember the battles that we'd have with the Rockets and stuff and um, how good they were, just how, how phenomenal they were. Now, I do have a question for you. A lot of people, you know, we, we look at it, sports fans who understand basketball understand that, like, okay, typically second-round picks, unless you're, like, an extremely good athlete, make the team like or if it's a situation like yours where it was an injury and so sometimes though in basketball second round picks they just think of them as like oh they're going to be going overseas did you ever have that mentality like when you got drafted second round were you excited and you had a lot of confidence that you're going to make the roster or did you almost have a fear as well like oh they're just drafting me but I'm going to be playing overseas in, in, a, in a couple months all right so let's go back I got a very very funny tale about that situation okay so draft night the Denver Nuggets, before the draft, had three picks at the end of the first round. They said, we're going to use one of the picks on you, Randy, and let you rehab for the whole year. So for all the kids out there that, you know, basketball goes from fun to business very quickly. And so draft comes. They draft somebody in the first pick from overseas. The second pick, they draft somebody. And the third pick, they traded to the second round. Second round comes, they drafted Jeff McGinnis. So... I don't know where I'm going to fall in draft. So then I get a call from Rudy Tomjanovich and Carol, no, it's just Rudy, and at the 42nd pick, said, how would you like to be a Rocket? Obviously, my heart, you know, was full of joy. I was happy. And so, you know, like most things, you're off the next day to go to the, to the press conference. So my fellow draftees was Othello Harrington, who's from Mississippi, and Terrell Bell, who went to Georgia. Othello went to Georgetown. So we do the press conference, great feeling, like your chest out, you know, you're feeling good. And then the GM at the time name was um, Bob Weinhauer. That's a funny story about him. His, his daughter has a kid that goes to Newman right now, which is funny. <laughs> but when you hear this story, it's funny. So after the press conference, we go to the hotel, we have lunch, he pulls me to the side. He's like, look, Randy, you're not playing summer league. You're not doing any of that stuff. Our plan for you is to send you overseas and then keep your rights. So I'm like, wow. I go from great times, dark times, arrive, 
And then like, it was just like a shot of adrenaline just gone in one second, right? Cause you like, you didn't go to the NBA draft to go overseas. And I didn't know anything about overseas at the time. So it was just like a downer, you know? And so I would say, I go home, I tell my agent, I tell my family that, you know, that's what the guy's thinking, he's the GM. So I'm listening to him and about eight o'clock that morning, the next day, Robert Ory, Sam Cassell, Kenny Smith, all traded for Charles Barkley. So now the Rockets have a shortage of guards, right? Hour later, Rudy called me with Carol Dawson, who I'm still friends with to this day. And he says, Randy, <laughs> we just fired Bob Weinhauer. You're our diamond in the rough. We're going to let you get healthy for the whole year. And, you know, we'll play you the next year. We're going to invest in you for a whole year. You'll be with the Rockets the whole time. On the back of my mind, I knew I was 90% at that point. So I knew I would be ready for training camp. But I didn't tell them that. But, like, that's how crazy professional sports go. One day they tell you you're going overseas, and then that guy gets fired. And then the next day you tell you're going to be on the team the whole year. And you're adding another top 50 player all the time in Charles Barkley. So like, and they don't have any point guards on the roster at this moment. And so you're really excited. And um, that's how fast things go. And Bob wound up calling me last year and saying, Kenny, come watch a high school practice of mine been run as a coach. So how funny things are. And that's just, the, you know, the life of a pro athlete. Man, that's like full circle. I had no idea of that story. Just so everyone that's listening understands, it's like, I didn't know that when I asked this question. So I'm so glad that you elaborated on that. Yeah. That is crazy, man. And so it, just, it comes full circle, obviously, now. But yeah, like everything, the opportunities, they, I mean, opportunities, like luck is when, you know, preparation meets opportunity. And some might call it luck, but I mean, you had prepared and the opportunity presented itself and Hey, you know, the emotions were riding high, then low, then high again. There you go. So that's no, awesome. Sure. <laughs> it's so well, cool. my rookie year, I got to see a treat though. Like, I mean, you, you were a jazz fan. So, you know, the Stockton shot broke my heart because I thought we would have beat them in game seven. Uh, but it was, a, um, that year was tremendous. I mean, every night I saw a special performance by whether it was Clyde, Charles, or Akeem Olajuwon, or all two of them at one game, all three of them. It was, it was amazing. They were so good. The NBA was that was a special time. And I felt, to be honest with you, we had the team that probably could have beat the Bulls that year because we didn't have an answer for Mike, and he was good. But at least Mario, Ellie, and Clyde would have made him work. But then they didn't have any answer for Akeem Olajuwon. So if you tried to put Robin on him, he was still too small. They couldn't really guard him, but that means Luke Longley guarded Charles, and that wasn't going to happen in, in his prime year. So it was – we beat him twice that year, too. So, like, it was – like, it, it would have been something. But, you know, the better team won that night, and I got to wind up playing with uh, John and Carl later in my career, and they were the ultimate professionals. So, you know, that was a heck of a time. I still have nightmares when that game comes on NBA TV and he hits it. And he hits the three. The compact center the went, like, it went from like sky high loud to like, like they just took all the air out of the ball. 
Man, you talking about that from a player's perspective? I was in my front room. Uh, I see your smile, so I know you were happy. Uh, my my dad, I know exactly where I was when he hit it. I know exactly what happened. Like I was super excited. We were screaming as a, as a third grader, man. But you were in there, like as a player. It's so cool talking yeah. to you, man. It's awesome. So I mean that that kind of brings me into my next question, Randy. Is the fact that you played with such amazing talent and you played in a couple different eras. Now it's interesting. I actually just talked to Jerry Stackhouse and it's kind of a similar situation. Like you guys came in in similar timeframes and played in different eras of basketball. Like you came in the mid nineties and you went through, you were playing with the Rockets with these amazing athletes playing against some of the amazing talent, but you also, I mean, over the course of the next, next decade, a little more than that, 11 years, you got to play on a lot of teams and against a lot of players. So it's going to be tough for me to ask this question because you just mentioned like three, four, five different guys. But like I was going to say top two, who was the top two players that you say like that you played with and who was the top two players that you played against? Oh, that's a good question. Um, with. Kim Olajuwon was special. It was the truth. Um, I never saw one guy and they said he wasn't like that early in his career, but so dedicated to his craft and. I mean, he did the same routine every day for all 82 games, every practice. He stretched the same. He did his pre-workout the same. I mean, he lifted the same. He ate the same. Like, he was driven. He was – it was special. Um, second one, I played with so many. It's just hard to tell. But, like, I got to play with him through a training camp. But I thought he was the hardest working player that I'd ever played with. And that was Kevin Garnett. I was in training camp with Minnesota one year, and I never saw a player practice that hard. I mean, I knew the superstars brought it in the game, but he brought it in the game and practice every day. And he was the ultimate teammate on and off the court. So I would give them two right away. Um, that doesn't take anything away from Stockton, Malone, Jay Kidd, uh, Gary Payton. That doesn't take anything away from any of those guys. It's just that those guys were pretty special. Um, now, for as players I played against, I always answer that question with like position, right? So obviously Mike's the greatest. So I played against Mike a couple times, but if I want to say players I played against and I would try equal position, I would say, I'm, I, you asked for two, but I'm gonna give you three. Cool. Stockton, J Kidd, and Gary Payton. They were point guards and they were incredible. And I got to play against Nash too. He's in that group, but like them three were amazing and different, all different. Jay Kidd was different than Gary. Gary was different than John and vice versa. John was different. Also. So like those were the best of the best in my era. And I really enjoyed competing against those guys. And really, I got lucky. I got to play with all three of those guys. So I got to practice against them every day. So I saw the tricks of the trade every day. I played with Jason in Phoenix. I played with John in Utah and I was in Seattle two different times with Gary. So that was just to be able to see it every day and then see it in the game. And then I, on other teams, I played against them. They were the best to me. So awesome, man. Just the names that you're just dropping. It's just like bringing me back those. I mean, it wasn't until I watched the last chance, uh, sorry, not <laughs> the last dance, last, not dance. Last, last dance. When I watched the last dance documentary and I'm like going back in my head, it was like bringing me back to when I was a child, seeing all the talent that was there, like the true talent in the NBA at that time, especially at the point guard position. And then your name dropping them too. I'm like, gosh, dang, I, I guess I was just so young that I didn't have a full understanding of it. And then I'm mm -hmm. watching it now. I'm like, man, all these guys were just super, super good. Like the argument of, oh, could those guys have played in this, this day's NBA? 
Uh, I think they were – now that I they look back, I'm like, they yeah, they killed them. They would have killed them. They're super physical. <laughs> They're yeah. talented. Now, Curry, Curry could play in any era. Um, there's some of the guys that are great that can play in any era. But, like, they were just smarter than the guys today. Just put it like that. They, they're, they're, their mental capacity was very large. It was unlimited. So, And they were physically gifted and talented, too. The one wish I did have, you know, I have is, like, I would love to see a healthy Rain Lewis in the NBA versus those guys. Like that, that, like, is something that, you know, it doesn't haunt me, but it would have been – I would love to see that because I felt like I was probably just as good as Jason Kidd but more athletic and just as big as Gary and smart as Stockton. So, like, you know, I just would have liked to have seen it. But, you know, it didn't happen. Life – God had different plans, but I got to play with those guys and be around them every day, and that was a treat for me. Totally, man. And, and just, I mean, the thing is, is you played for a long time in the NBA. You can call it a journeyman career. You played in a lot of teams. Uh, that's better than most people get to do. Like the average life or the average career span is less than five years in the NBA. Uh, Three. Well, there you go. Okay. See, there you go. And so the fact that you were able to make it over a decade is, is super impressive and it is unfortunate, but it, that you didn't get to stay hundred percent healthy the whole way through it, but you still got to be around some amazing talent. I think that's awesome. It's obviously, you can see like your, your competitive nature. You can see that you like allow that to like, you learn from those guys cause you're crushing it still to this day. I follow you from afar and it's kind of, it's kind of cool to watch your story, man. And you're always just a hard worker. And um, uh, one last question I got to ask you too, like no, before we get into the next step is your favorite coach. You, you talked about like, you know, with Houston and you played for like Jerry Sloan. Like, I mean, I talked to Walter Bond when Walter Bond was with the jazz, he told me that throughout his, you know, very short tenure in the NBA, Jerry Sloan was one of the best coaches he's ever been around. I'm curious your thoughts, though, because you had so many amazing coaches. Yeah, I did. And I, I took something from all of them. Um, Jerry is probably the most fair coach. You know, and he's obviously a Hall of Famer in his own right. But, like, when I think of Jerry, he was just fair. He treated everybody the same. He yelled and cussed at John and Carl just as much as he cussed at the 12th guy on the bench or the guy on the injured reserve. I mean, he was just fair, and he gave guys shots. So, you got to respect him in that. For me, though, it would be a name you probably wouldn't think, but I played for Soaps. And Nate McMillan's an Olympic coach. All that. But Danny Ames was the best coach. I'll tell you why. Because he saw something in me that the rest didn't see. Um, and he had a lot of respect for my game. And he gave me a chance. He was the first coach to give me a two-year deal. And um, that meant a lot to me. Um, so he believed in me. And that's the main thing when you think of coaching, you got to find somebody to believe in you. And like all the stuff that I've been through, he believed in brain over jumping high and moving fast and running a 4-3. He just believed in basketball players. And that's the one thing I wish a lot of, I know you got to have the intangibles and everybody is guys are 45 inch vertical or run fast or does this, this stuff that's athletically but at the end of the day, we're all basketball players. And I, I hope, <coughs> excuse me, most coaches would look for pure basketball players because they, they don't come around often and they're special and they can still do a lot of things that the athletic guys do, but differently, but better. And you can win with them. And I think that's important. Um, and I, that's why I say Danny. So that might be a bit of a surprise because I played for some great coaches, man. Ruth T was fun 
coach, but Danny just gave me a job. And not only gave me a job, he believed in me. I hope everyone's listening to this and like taking notes right now. Cause like, as I'm sitting here, I'm like, that's super important. And yeah, it makes total sense why you would say that because yeah, you, you got a coach that believed in you, gave you a shot. And uh, obviously we'll talk to you in a second about that, um, how that's kind of translated into your coaching career, but that's super impactful for anyone. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete or in high school or college, whatever, like coaching, even at the middle school level for crying out loud, coaching can have a major impact on you. Like it, it had an impact on you right now. Somebody believed in you. And uh, I think that's awesome, man. Last NBA question. I, I was, I was uh, going to pass on real quick, but I, I got to ask you, Randy, what was your favorite memory in the NBA? You had a, a long career. So what was, what was your all-time favorite memory in the NBA? Um, it's hard to top my rookie year. Just that all I had been through and then to get that treat of being on that team. But, um, you know what? My, 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 my favorite memory, and not too many people know this, but the lockout year or that year, or maybe it's the year afterwards. That wasn't the lockout year. So the Spurs go on to win a championship, okay, in the lockout year. The very next year I'm in Phoenix, Jason Kidd goes down. I get to start 17 games, and I start in the playoff against the defending national champions. I mean, national champions. Yep. Not national champions, world champions. And win. We win that series. So that was, like, really, really big deal. But not only did we win, we win with me starting. So I had been probably six, six years, seven years in and been grinding and grinding. And to now play against a world championship team and to beat them in the playoffs with pretty much the same team. And um, there was a young Sean Marion on that team. Uh, I think Penny Hardaway was on that team. And I was the starting point guard. That's like, to me, that was my fondest memory because the goal of the NBA is to try to win a championship. But then for my career to be able to play in the playoffs and replace someone like Jason Kidd, which you never can replace him, but to be able to hold a fort down and then obviously, consequently, we lost in the next round to the Lakers. But it was just an awesome feeling. It felt like I had arrived. After all that years and all I had been through, I finally got an opportunity to lead a team. And was successful at it. And that's what's, you know, you know about that, that moment. So that was really, really good. I can only imagine. That's, that's actually amazing. I'm going to have to go back and kind of see if I can find some some highlights of that series too. Now um, that's so cool. And, and, you know, you, you're talking about the Lakers too, that you had to play against. I mean, you got to play against Kobe. Obviously it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, Kobe went. I hear what I more. Yep. Um, but d- d- what was your, like, what was, do you have a memory of Kobe Bryant real quick before we get to your G league or D league experience? Do you have a memory of playing Kobe that like sticks out to you? It's not a memory of playing them, but for all the young kids today, I think his mentality and they call it the mama mentality. He went for it from the very first day he stepped on the NBA court. And he failed miserably his rookie year. People don't really understand that. I mean, that series against the Jazz, he was awful. I'll just be honest with him. He wasn't very good. But at the end of the day, um, that's, that's what made him who he was. And so he went for it all out all the time and then eventually he conquered it and figured it out and he not only became a great scorer he became a great teammate late on in his career he figured out how to win whether it was with Shaq or without him he figured it out and so 
Yeah, he's a special guy, man. And I know he was doing special things off the court after he had retired. So it's just sad that we lost him so early. Totally. Like, it's devastating for me, obviously, growing up watching him. And uh, I just bought his book, The Mama Mentality. I got I to gotta go learn from him because there's a lot of things we can learn from guys like yourselves, like just people who've been there at the highest level. So that's why I'm, I'm trying to learn the best that I can from, from people like yourself and then obviously people like him with his Mama Mentality. Now, now I, I, I referenced earlier, Randy, that you played for the Stampede. That's actually where I remember seeing you play because, you know, yep. I was uh, right out of high school, about two years out of high school when you guys, you, you know, you won the title the D league at the time now known as the G league, right. Yep. It's going through the, that, that transition, but the D league talk about your experience there. Cause uh, what some people may not fully understand is, or at least not know yet is that you were a two time MVP, if I'm not mistaken of the D league. Is that correct? Oh, one time MVP. One time and MVP. then we won a championship. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. One time MVP of the D league and you won a championship. So talk about your experience in the D league. What was that like? Well, for most kids, uh, whoever's kids, adults, whoever listens to this podcast, the, the, the G League, and I would call it the minor league because I'm going to go back to the CBA too, is um, yeah, I have a lot of fine memories of it. It was basically how I became who I became. Like, I, like people don't understand, I made it out of all the minor league systems every year to the last year when I retired and we won a championship to the NBA. Like some of those years, five or six years, I would come and – grind and put on my workman hat and then get a call up. I think, you know, and I'm, I'm going to put this out here for Sharif Abdul-Rahim, but I feel like I should be the logo of the G League. I mean, I was cut 20, 20-something times in my NBA career, but then I'm the all-time leader in call-ups. And so that's a, the, the model of the league. It's changed a little bit now because now you have the, the two-way players and it's basically for the development of the NBA guys like the real minor league uh, baseball franchise. But at the end of the day, I've forged some amazing relationships. That's what I take from minor league. It was guys that had the same goals. And sometimes it wasn't winning. It was just to get called up and earn a living for your family. But it, it was great. I, I would have never thought in my wildest dreams going up in New Orleans, Louisiana, I would travel to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and play in the CBA. In fact, my first trip going to Sioux Falls, I got on the plane going to Sioux City, not knowing it was different. Sioux City, <laughs> Iowa, Sioux Falls. So, like, here it is. I'm a city boy, southern, southern boy. And so, but I had great times. It was bloody cold in, in Sioux Falls. So, I go from a southern kid from New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Houston, Atlanta, and then Sioux Falls. Cold. Rude awakening. And so, there I met Bill Eilert, who was the owner of the Stampede, or the majority owner. And I met him at a playoff series in Sioux Falls playing against the Idaho Stampede. One Damon Jones, who had a great NBA career, was on that team. And we had played in Boise a couple times that season, and I loved the city. I was a little, a little, the blue turf, they get carried away with that a little too much. But I loved the city. It was a great city. It was just different. People were nice, genuine. Food was great. It just was so peaceful and so and a lot of outdoors. And so after we beat them in that best of five series, I just told Bill if there was ever a chance, I would love to come play in Boise one day. And he was like, look, if there's ever a chance, we would love you too. So let's make it happen. So the next time I came back to the minor leagues, and it was hard to leave Sioux Falls because my jersey retired there too. It was really a great place. But then I went to Boise and 
and you know, it was an incredible move. Like I said, Boise's like a second home to me. And um, I still have a lot of friends. My assistant coach at my high school team right now, Travis Russell, he was somebody that I met in Boise. He's with me, we've been friends for a while. Um, Roberto Bergeson, he's like one of my all-time friends. He's probably one of the best teammates I've ever had on and off the court. Um, and then to get to not only play for the, the franchise in Boise and play for Brian Gates, Larry Stoviak, play for um, a couple other people who I'm missing, Roy White, so I had different stints in Boise. Uh, and it was incredible. So then I'll go from player to associate head coach, then to head coach and lead the franchise, get my jersey retired, the relationship I have with the fans and Bill, it's special, man. And to, to watch guys like Brent Petway grow, Mike Taylor become the first guy from the minor leagues to get drafted in the NBA, and then for us to win a championship, help Lance already get to, you know, an NBA team, uh, play with guys like Corey Violet, Jason Ellis. The list goes on and on. It was just an incredible family-like experience. Um, some of my favorite restaurants, I still love Goldie's. It's one of the best breakfast places I ever. You know, Goldie's is my spot. You know, I love the Barnet. You know, everything about Boise. I got to spend time in different parts of Idaho, and that was – incredible so you know i owe a lot to to the idaho stampede franchise they they really really if you want to say i grew up and became a man on and off the court in boise and in idaho i did like it, it protected and molded me like you would never believe and so so it was uh pretty special Super cool, Randy. I appreciate you sharing all that info, man, because, yeah. yeah, like, we know as fans, like, we remember you. But, like, you know, and you're name-dropping guys. Like, Roberto Bergeson, he was my childhood idol. I grew up – I mean, I had him on my show two years ago. I, I love that man. Like, oh, yeah. He's my guy. I, I changed my shot. I changed the way I played. I always wanted to model Roberto Bergeson. Like, he was my man. So, like, just seeing you guys team up together on that championship stand, like Jason Ellis even. I watched him at Boise State. Like, I just kind of grew up watching those guys. And so, when they were all together, you know – competing with you it's just cool to see that you guys all just came together um and, and were able to do something and still have fun with it some guys get down on themselves because they think that the the d league or the cba at the time like before turning the d league they think that it's like a it's something to not take serious no like the most of those guys if not all of those guys that are in that in those leagues are far superior to those that are like at the collegiate level or anything like that because yeah they're professional athletes so it's just cool to hear you you know talk about that now, to finish up, Randy, you're at the coaching level now. You had a short stint at, at LSU, your, your school that you played at. You, you were an assistant there. And now I just want you to tell us a little bit about your stint right now with Newman. Going back like full circle, if we're talking full circle, talk to us about what you're up to now and what we can expect in the future from Randy Livingston. Yeah, it was awesome. And maybe one day we'll get into it, like kind of like my coaching. Because I started in Maine and then I came back to Boise and then became the head coach. Then left and went to Australia. Okay. Started grassroots in Australia. Started a business and it exceeded all my expectations. And uh, and then I came back home to my alma mater, LSU. Coach Jones, Johnny Jones, was the head coach, and he recruited me. So that was uh, um interesting time in my life. And um, it was a short stint. We didn't have a great year, and um, moved on. And then, you know, life is funny like that, man. If you'd have told me I would have been in New Orleans again after all of the travels I've been, but it's been the perfect. I mean, I think 
a lot of times we go in life looking for so many different things you want to do with your career. And sometimes it's right in front of you and smack in your face and, and timing's everything. And they had an opening and I thought about it and I coached eighth grade one year just to kind of see if this is really the level I wanted to be. But to be honest, it's been the perfect fit because I enjoy teaching. I enjoy being around young men. And, and one thing Clyde Drexler did teach me my rookie year was that, you know, don't go to your grave with the knowledge and experiences that you have. Pass it on, give it back. He told me that countless times my rookie year. And that's what I'm doing. Like, this is a Newman's a special school. And when I say it comes full circle, it's like God has put me here for a reason. I mean, another Manning's on the horizon, which is crazy. Arch Manning, and he's, to me, I saw Peyton and Eli at the same age. He's better than him at the same age, and it's not close. So it's scary, scary to think of that. And he still has a long way to go, um, but he's a great kid. And then we get a highly touted freshman in Chris Lockett, who's ranked in the country, reminds me a lot of myself and when I was at Newman. And so I'm here to help him mold him and hopefully, you know, he maximize, maximize his career and have a great future. So like, God puts you in places for a reason, and this has been an incredible experience. My kids get a great education because obviously Newman, you think about Odell Beckham and the Mannings and myself, but it's really an academic um, institution, and it's a higher learning place and high expectations in terms of the classroom. So to have my kids able to go to school here, and I mean, I'm blessed beyond belief, and it's a place I'm comfortable with. The headmaster of the school was my um, – assistant coach here so he was coaching the basketball team and um another person was the um, college counselor just retired after 46 years at one place I, I don't know how he did that That's but great. he was an assistant coach so there was some familiarity and it's been incredible um last year just to join and take over the high school rank so a dream come true and for sure full circle and it's a good way for my story to you know, come full circle. I started working on a book that we're 135 pages in. And so this is kind of like the ultimate full circle story. So I'm excited. Man, this is awesome. Well, the book's ready. I'm going to read it. So you got to give me a signed copy. <laughs> Just kidding. There'll be a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't know along the journey. So many stories, so many people. That's, that's the stuff I geek out about, man. That's why I actually have this podcast. I like to have people, you know, share stories, but even in books, like I can learn so much from people. So that's awesome. Randy, it's been an awesome time talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing this. I mean, there's probably so much more that you could share and, and whatnot. Oh, we need but, two hours, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I totally understand. And, and, and I just really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to at least get the, the base story yeah, out yeah. there for us and, and letting us learn from you. Now, if there was one thing that you could leave, this is the last question I got for you, one thing that you could leave to anybody out here, whether they're a, an athlete or not, or a coach, what's the one piece of advice that, you know, you would leave to pass on down, just like Clyde Drexler told you to do? What's the one piece of advice? Um, that's an easy one. I mean, actually, I've, you know, coined it, and it's my brand right now, uh, live on. It's basically the first three letters of my last name, wife name, but, you know, a lot of people don't know, but it has a significant meaning to me. Um, live on, it means exactly what it said. No matter what happens in your life, you know, good, bad, middle ground times, tough times, injuries, you know, career curtail, you don't know what you're going to do, but you got to continue to not only live on, but push on. 
you know, and, and continue to live your life. And, you know, eventually you'll find your home. And, and it's, for me, it's no greater place to be in back home in New Orleans and being able to live on through, you know, basketball still, through other people's lives, being able to help kids. I mean, I, I couldn't think of a better thing to do. And so sometimes you, you go around the world, you travel the world, travel the country, trying to figure out what it is that you want to do. But eventually you'll find your place and you'll live on to a place that you're comfortable, happy, and you'll know that you're in the right place at the right time. And I think that's what I would call peace of mind and comforting knowing that you're doing what you love and not what you have to do because you have to earn a living and doing, doing what you love doing. And that's, that's important. Appreciate it. And it's, uh, there's no better way to end the discussion than with that. So just remember, guys, live on. Once again, Randy Livingston, we appreciate you joining the show, sir. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you do as a coach right now at Newman. Thanks, man. No, I appreciate it, Shane. And it was a pleasure. And, if, you know, I don't know if you can add more guests to your show, but maybe, you know, I know we're talking about having a 2008 reunion with the Stampede team. You know, let's do it. You know, let's figure it out. And, and I would love to, you know, get on with a couple more guys from that group. So let me know. Oh, let's let's set that up. I'm always looking for new guests on the show at all times. So let's see if we could set some up. I think that'd be awesome, especially here in the Treasure Valley. No, appreciate it. Thanks, Shane. For sure, Randy. Thanks, sir. And uh, you take care. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.